I don't know what the Lord's doing this morning. I will say this, the altar's open. I was sitting there, that choir was singing that song four days late, and I, I said, well, I don't know what I said. I'm going to tell you what happened. I was sitting there, and it was like something started tapping in my foot. And I just couldn't take it anymore. And that something was saying, Keith, don't, 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 don't you do this. Don't you make another fool of yourself. I do that all the time, by the way. And, and, but it just began to move up my foot and I couldn't take it anymore. And I want to tell you what, when you're in the presence of God, it's about more than you can take. I mean, you just get to where uh, you, you can't take. And what's on the inside has to begin to come out on the outside because it's just too much. It's just too much. And listen, I'm here before you this morning as an imperfect sinner. I get it wrong so often, but I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe, and what do I believe? That God declared me righteous, that God declared me holy, that God declared me to be an heir and joint heir with Jesus Christ of the universe. And he said, listen, it doesn't matter what the world says about you. I say you're clean. And if you're here this morning, it doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter what you're in right now. It doesn't matter what the world's saying about you. If you simply place your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that sounds simplistic. I know that sounds, hey, we want to complicate things and we want to make things uh, to where we can wrap our minds around them but I want to tell you something this morning God says it's as simple as you place your faith in me and I place my holiness in you you give me all you are and I'll give you the life of Jesus Christ and last throughout all eternity and I say praise the Lord for that I'm going to the service I'm not even going to try to preach this morning what God laid on my heart we'll get to that next week I want to read you uh, that first passage of scripture I got so excited my little string thing fell out of my Bible and I lost my place amen I'm going to talk to you this morning for just a minute turning your Bibles to Isaiah chapter number 52 we're not going to get there if you remember last week I started in Psalm 22 and we talked about there being two sides to the cross our sentimental side, our pretty side, but there was another side that Jesus viewed from his side. And I'm going to tell you what, it was ugly and it was horrible. It was a debt that must have been paid and he was willing to pay it. And we looked at that in Psalm 22, a beautiful picture of the crucifixion, the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to continue that theme all the way up to Easter. And just like I said at the end last Sunday, that little boy told his little sister, don't you get excited, don't you worry. After the commercial, he'll be back. And I want to lead up to that on Easter Sunday morning when I can say with uh, confidence that Jesus Christ is alive, he's alive, he's alive. There's two, sorts, two sides to that story of the cross. Jesus and ours. His was ugly. It was brutal. It was horrible, but he was willing to pay that debt for us. Isaiah chapter number 52, we're going to begin reading in verse number 13. Let, let me say this. You're well aware that the chapters and verses were inserted long after the scriptures were written to make them easier to differentiate and for us to find things and to understand. These chapters and verses were not in the original writings when, when God breathed upon the, the chapters and verses are man-made. So really, chapter 53 starts in verse number 13 of chapter number 52. They're called servant songs, 
and Isaiah wrote several of them. And this is one of those servant songs. It's actually written in stanzas. And each stanza in the original Hebrew language got longer and longer and longer until the end of the song. And it was as if the Holy Spirit was leading Isaiah to paint a picture of, uh, of something building up to a, to a climax. And that's what we begin reading here in verse number 13 of Isaiah chapter number 52 this morning. Listen to what the Bible says. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him and for that which had not been told them shall they see and that which they had not heard shall they consider. I was thinking the other day about what's the greatest idea in the history of the world? And you know, my mind went back to them cavemen, you know, being in a, in a cave somewhere. And you know, it gets cold in a cave. And somebody got the bright idea that if I take and rub two sticks together and knock two rocks together, I do that thing just right and I got me some tinder, uh, that thing uh, sparks and I, I can get me a fire and fires warm you when you're cold, amen? I can imagine, can you imagine that first one that brought that fire in that cave? I wonder if those people that saw him do that, you know, the first time if they were like, oh, or if they were like, ow! Which one? You know, I mean, fire can be dangerous too. But that's a good idea. Can you imagine this? Just think about them people that were trying to get something from point A to point B. And they had this little square thing and they put this axle in it. And they got the strongest ox they possibly could and they hooked them up to that thing and that thing went clunk, clunk. Then somebody said, you know, if we cut off them corners... That thing would roll, and it'd make it a lot easier to get from, I mean, them some good ideas. Imagine going back just a few hundred years and saying, one of these days, at any point in time, there'll be thousands of airplanes in the air flying all over the world. I mean, you can leave today in North Carolina, and, and within about 24 hours, you can be literally on the other side of the world, and that's really no big deal. I mean, that's a great idea. I mean, people, God has given us a wonderful mind and we've come up with some wonderful ideas throughout history. But I got to thinking, what's the greatest idea of all time? You know, there's been the psychoanalysts back in the late 20, uh, 19th century and early 20th century. I mean, some brilliant people. And they come up with some good thoughts on this thing called ideas. Uh, one of them, I believe his name was Carl Jung, said something like this, I'm not so sure that ideas or people have ideas or ideas have people. Uh, you say, Keith, what in the world are you talking about? Well, let me get, do it this way. Imagine children when you're in school and you got some homework to do. Or just say that there's something, say you need to do your taxes. Amen. Uh, none of us, well, I hope you don't like doing them. I don't. Uh, study in your Bible. And you sit down to do that. And you know in your mind what you want to do, what you need to do. But what happens? 
all of a sudden, ideas begin to invade your mind to distract you, to disrupt you. They do that to me too. Now, where are those things coming from? I mean, you set out to sit down and study the Bible, get your homework done, do your taxes, whatever the case may be. But these things are coming out of, of, of nowhere. I think, just stop and think about this. I would say, I mean, most people here today, most people would say something like this. I know that I need to be serving the Lord. I know that. There may be a one or two or maybe a few or a handful in here this morning who say, no, nah, I don't know that and I don't want to. But most people would say that. Well, what's stopping I mean, I've stood and said before there's X amount of numbers of ministries in the church and there's way more people than there are ministries that need to be done. So why then does every year that nominating committee struggle so much to find people to fill those roles? Well, it's that same thing. We may know something in our mind, but things invade our mind. You see, the Bible says something like this. We don't war against flesh and blood. But it's against principalities and powers. You see, there's spiritual warfare that's going on. And, and, and the, in that spiritual warfare, our mind is invaded with things that we don't really understand or understand where those things come from. And they seek to distract us, to delay us, to turn us the other way. But ultimately, they seek to keep us from doing what God wants us to do. Well, if I were to come up in my mind to the greatest idea of all time, it'd certainly be at least considered one of those things. But I submit something to you this morning, church. I know I'm not going to get finished, but I submit to you that right here in Isaiah chapter number 52 and Isaiah chapter number 53 is the greatest idea. Now, I started to say the greatest idea in history, but then I got to thinking, no, it's not the greatest idea in history because the Bible says that in eternity past, God crucified Jesus in his heart. You see, this thing didn't surprise God. My sin, your sin, all the sin of the world didn't take God by surprise. Before he ever created us, he had already made the plan, concocted the plan, had the idea, whatever you want to call it, for the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to take care of the sin of the world. And you know what I say about that? Amen. Because as bad as I can be, it don't take God by surprise. He's got a plan to fix it. Amen? So the greatest idea, what is that? The suffering servant. Paul called that message of the cross the power of God in 1 Corinthians. He insisted that I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In Galatians chapter 6, he said, May I boast in nothing except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what is it about that story of the cross that led to such devotion and faith? That idea makes absolutely no sense to us that God would become flesh, that would live a humble life, that at the appointed time, God, who is now in flesh, that had lived a humble life, would be spit upon, would be beaten, 
would be, in a sense, physically defeated. They would take him, they would hang him on a cross, and there he would die on that cross. That makes no sense when we stop and think about it. In our economy, in our way of thinking, well, that's why it's foolishness to the wisdom of the world. But to God, it's the power that leads to the salvation of men, women, boys, and girls. And it's laid out right here in Isaiah chapter number 53. The Jewish prophet Isaiah wrote this probably around 700 years before uh, the coming of Christ. Now, Psalm 22 that we looked at last week was probably around 1,000 years uh, before Christ. But I want to say this morning for just a few minutes, I want us to look at that idea, the greatest idea, the suffering servant sent by God to take away the sin of the world. There's four characteristics of that. We probably won't get past the first one this morning because I am just looked at it right now. And I got so excited again, I wanted to take off running up and down uh, the aisles when I stop and think about what God's done for me. When I stop and I think, and listen church, if we just simply stop and think, how wicked we are. And then contrast that with the holiness of God. And he did something to reconcile our wickedness and his holiness. That ought to get us excited this morning. I believe the reason it don't get more people excited is a lot of people don't really believe that they're wicked. But the Bible says that we're depraved and we can't do anything to save ourselves. And God had to do something. And he demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Four characteristics, this greatest idea, the suffering servant. Number one, we see the proclamation of the servant. Look what the Bible says here. We're going to read it again. For ye shall not go out, or, or behold, my servants shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. In this first passage, we're told that the Lord Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, is going to be uh, astonishing in this world that he came to save. Now, right at the very beginning, I want to share something. Most of you know what Isaiah 53 is. Most of you have heard that. You've heard me tell the story about Thad Daddle, that professor up there at Fruitland, and how he was on that trip over there in Israel, and he had that uh, Jewish tour guide, and he got in his mind that he's going to lead this Jewish tour guide to Christ while he was over there. And he said, he asked him, he said, well, can we go to the Old Testament? You believe the Old Testament, don't you? That tour guide who was Jewish said, yeah, I believe the Old Testament. And he said, well, can we go look in the Old Testament uh, and let me show you a few things that what the Bible says in the Old Testament. He said, yeah, but the one place we can't look at is Isaiah chapter number 53. Most of you know, 700 years before the birth of Christ, we've got this chapter number 52 and chapter number 53 of the book of Isaiah. And God is proclaiming. He's making a proclamation. And the Bible says here that the world is going to be astonished at this coming uh, Savior. And that uh, we read on and see all that's going to happen. And it's as if, right here in chapter number 52, that God is saying, hey, there's going to be some bad things happen. Listen, over here in chapter number 53, it's going to look rough. 
But don't you get too excited. I'm telling you right here at the very beginning that he's going to be successful. He's going to win that thing. So don't you let your blood pressure get up too high. Everything's going to turn out all right. It's just like that little brother that was watching TV with his, uh, with his sister and told her that everything, he'd be alive after the commercial was over. Well, it would be like what well, he seen that and he knew it was coming and he knew his sister was going to cry. So he fast forwarded past the commercial and showed her what was going to happen and then said, now nah, you've already watched this. Let's go back and watch all the bad stuff that's going to take place. Well, that's what Isaiah is doing right here in chapter number 52. He said, listen. Listen, the servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted. He's going to be extolled. He's going to be very high. All of this bad stuff that's getting ready to happen, he's going to overcome all that, and I'm just letting you know. And listen, the whole world is going to be astonished. Even though his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Now, you've seen that movie, The Passion. You've seen that and just how gruesome that is. And there was parts of that it was tough for me to watch. But I want to tell you something this morning, church. When Jesus was on that uh, uh, march up Calvary's cross and all the torture that he was going through, that movie doesn't do anything to capture the real suffering and the real pain and the real burden that was laid on the Lord Jesus Christ on that day he was crucified on Calvary's hill. I mean, the Bible says that his, his visage, his countenance, his face was so marred that you couldn't even recognize him as a man in his form more than the sons of man. Well, we know what happened. Blood was, hey, it was a bloody cross. It was a bloody Calvary. It was a bloody hill. And we say in our modern culture, people say, don't you talk about that stuff. Listen, that, that offends people's ears. But I want to tell you something. I'm glad I can talk about it this morning. Why? Because God said without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And here he's proclaiming that there's one coming. All throughout history, listen, they had been saying, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? You remember that story over there that started in the book of Genesis? It's just like right over there in Genesis chapter number 3. Like that snow begins to melt on top of a mountain and a little sprinkle comes down and that thing gathers with a little snow from on this peak and a little snow from on this peak and the next thing you know you got a little trickle running down that mountain. Well in Genesis chapter number 3 when God said hey there's going to be one come from a woman that's going to crush the head of Satan. There was a little sprinkle. And then there's a sprinkle over here. And there's a sprinkle over here. And there's a little drop of water. And those things begin to run down that mountain. And we get over there to the Abraham. And he's got Isaac. And Isaac looks at his daddy. And he said, Daddy, where's the lamb? And Abraham said something like this. Hey, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Well, that stream that began to flow. You had all of these little droplets of water, little snow melt begin to flow and that thing's into a stream now and it's flowing down that mountain. When we get here, by the time we get to Isaiah, that thing's picked up steam and it's a river that's flowing towards Calvary's cross and that river is blood. And listen, there ain't no way we can get there. We might not like it. Our sensibilities may not want to take it. But God said without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And I thank God this morning that Jesus didn't hold nothing back. He shed it all for me and you. And here in Isaiah 53, 700 years before the birth of Christ, God is making a proclamation that there's one coming. And you know, you get to Abraham over there and Isaac, he says, Daddy, where's the lamb? Well, through the rest of the Old Testament, everybody was looking and they were saying, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And Isaiah said, he's coming, he's coming. And you turn over there to the Gospel of Matthew 
You turn over there to the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right there in John chapter number 1, they've been saying, where's the lamb? And John looks out and he sees this man coming and that man's name was Jesus and he said, behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And that was proclaimed right here in Isaiah chapter number 52 into chapter number 53, 700 years before the birth of Christ. If you can read this chapter and it doesn't cause you to fall down on your knees and say, God, I believe. God, I believe. Listen, the worst critics in the world, these people that say Isaiah wasn't written until 700 years after it was written, well, you can take 700 and turn it to 300, make that thing 200, make that thing 100, or one year before Christ is born. It's still a prophecy that predicted the future and it done it so accurately that we should not be able to help but believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah right here in chapter number 53. He was proclaiming the coming Christ. The Bible says that kings would shut their mouths at him. That which had not been told them they shall see and that which they had not heard shall they consider. I'm going to say this and I'll be done. You turn back over there to the book of Isaiah chapter number 6. The king had just died and Isaiah, I mean he was having him a pity party. He said, I believe I'll go to church. And if you're here this morning and you walked in and there's a burden on your heart, listen. Why, why is the altars empty? When God says, if you'll just go to the place. Listen, I know there's nothing special about this place up here. It's just a place. There's some steps. They're covered in carpet. But God says, when we come into the sanctuary, we're to go to the center of the sanctuary. That holy of holies, that place where God is. Now, I know God's everywhere. But he tells us to meet him at certain places. Isaiah goes to that place. He don't know what's going to take place. He just knows he's got a problem, and it's a big problem. Sennacherib's up here in, the, uh, in Assyria, and he's building up his army. The king's just died. The economy's coming, crushing down. All of these things is happening in his life, and he goes in there, and what does he see? He sees angels, and they're standing around the throne, and he sees the Lord, and he's high and lifted up, and his glory fills the temple. And in that, Isaiah's given a new breath. Listen, the king's still dead, the army's still building, the economy's still crumbling, but it gives Isaiah a new uh, a picture of what's going on. He sees it from eyes that have, been, that have been touched by God and things don't look so horrendous anymore. And if we walk in with a burden and we'd simply come to this altar and get in the presence of God, the problems may not go away, but we can look at them in a different way and realize that God's on the throne and He's in control. And that's what Isaiah here is announcing in uh, chapter number 53. Well, those angels are around the throne and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah, he's ready to go. He's on fire from God. You know why? You know what you can do this morning? You know how you can get ready to serve God this morning? Come to this altar, get in the presence of God, and you walk out of here saying, holy, 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 because God said, I need somebody to preach for me. I need somebody to proclaim this message that I've been telling throughout all Israel and throughout all the land. I need somebody to go do that. And Isaiah, now he's been in the presence of God. He's been picked up, cleaned up, tuned up and all of that. He said, God, send me, I'll go. And God said, Isaiah, let me tell you something before you go. You are the man, but nobody's going to listen to the message that you proclaim. Not a person's going to hear it. Boy, we look at success different than God does, don't we? 
I mean, if they ain't people getting baptized every week, and I mean, people up and jumping and shouting in the aisles and all this stuff, well, that crazy preacher's not doing his job. But you see, success ain't up to me and it ain't up to you. Success is defined by God. And he defines that by us simply being obedient. So you say, I can't serve him. I might fail. No, you succeed in the attempt because you've been obedient. The results are up to God. Well, you got great men. I'm not going to get past that. That were astonished. Because on yon side of the cross, Jesus was a failure. And they couldn't see that. On the other side, he come out victorious. And you see, if you'd simply believe in that other side of the cross this morning, no matter what you're going through, you can come out victorious. I'm going to ask you to stand. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ. I mean, the sin of this world has just been a weight on you and you can't bear that load anymore. Go to the other side of the cross and say, Jesus, I'm going to proclaim just like Isaiah did 700 years before. I'm going to proclaim the victory before it even happens. <laughs> Amen. Now listen, I'm not being a hen. I don't believe I can come touch you and you're going to be healed and all that. But for the Christian, God declares victory. God declares victory. God declares victory. We just have to, like Isaiah, from this side, look on the other side and see that victory if we'll simply declare it. But maybe you're here this morning. And, and, and you walked in and it's someone you love well listen God wants to save that person much more than you want to see them saved but maybe he just wants to uh, test you this morning and see if you're going to have the faith the conviction to, to get off that pew where you are and come to this altar and call out to God yes in front of all these eyeballs that will be looking at you but you just stop and think how many eyeballs were staring at Jesus when he went to that cross and he didn't care he went anyway that's what God's asking you this morning. Do you care what people think or do you care what I think? Get out from where you are. Declare that person victorious this morning and then begin the work of seeing that person saved. Whatever the Lord speaks to you this morning, I want to say God's got the answer to whatever you're going through this morning.